Welcome to the Baseline Community Church Podcast. So we are starting a new sermon series. It's called Garden to Garden. It will, um, it will take us from today all the way through Easter, and um, I think it's, I'll explain a little bit more about it. Also, I just want to let you know that next Sunday, we're going to have a, a, a special treat. Um, pastor Craig, who is a pastor down at Pomona Promise, uh, is going to preach for us next Sunday. And so those of you that have been to Pomona Promise, you know to be ready, okay? So this is the ministry that we, where we go and feed folks on once a month, and Craig is the pastor down there, and he's an amazing man. And so it'll be a, a really great Sunday next Sunday. So uh, again, just a reminder about Ash Wednesday. It's not this Wednesday. It's the following Wednesday, and we'll be entering the season of Lent. And Lent really is a season of preparing our hearts for Easter. It's, it's a season of, of fasting. It's a season of repentance. It's a season of prayer. And so what, much, what we want to try and do now in, in the season or the series of Garden to Garden is to help us move from even the Garden of Eden, which we'll start at today, all the way to the Garden of the Empty Tomb. And you will see that in Scripture, and this is, we're going to look at the whole arc of Scripture. We're not going to read the whole Bible, but we're going to look at the whole arc of Scripture and see that there are garden images used at different places and different times. And this will help prepare us, I believe, for that empty tomb in the garden. So, the idea here is that um, God wants us to be in a relationship with him so that we can flourish. That's what he wants. That is what he desires. The gardens that we'll look at will be gardens of justice. It'll be a place of rest. It'll be a place of waiting. It's a picture of renewal and restoration. It's even a call of mission into the world. These different gardens that we'll look at. And today we're going to look at the first garden. That's the Garden of Eden. So if you have a Bible and want to follow along, Uh, We'll be in Genesis chapter 2. The words will be up behind me on the screen also if you'd like. So here's how it goes. Here's how it starts. Genesis 2 verses 8 and 9. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food In the middle of the garden, there was the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so it starts out here that that the Lord God is the master gardener. It says he is the one that planted this garden. And it even says that these trees that grow out, they were pleasing to the eye and they were good for food. Have you ever imagined, have you thought about just how incredible our world is? The world that our God has created. Now, there are lots of places the Lord could have put humankind, if you think about this. Could have put them in a desert. Could have put them into the Arctic. Could have put them on a deserted island surrounded by water. Could have put them in a lot of different places. But our God chose to put us, humankind, in a garden with trees that were good to look at and food that was good to taste. Right? How good our God is to us, right? The, just the, the, the taste of like a really ripe pineapple. Mm, isn't that amazing? Or a mango. Something along those lines. 
that God created us and created this world in such a way that we enjoy this world. That ultimately we've been created to flourish in this world. And, and the scripture says that there are four rivers that water this garden. Most of the scholars believe that these rivers would then put the Garden of Eden in some place in the Middle East, there around the Tigris and the Euphrates and those places. And what God wants, ultimately, is this word that we've talked about before, this Hebrew word called shalom. Now, we often uh, say that it means peace, which that's, that's part of it, but it, it's deeper than just peace. It, it means a wholeness, uh, a well-being, and a flourishing. And that this is what God desires for his creation, is this shalom a well-being, a wholeness, and a flourishing. And then God kindly gives us a job and a purpose in his garden. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. One commentator wrote this. He says, man's purpose is to provide spiritual service. The carefully selected words here in Genesis 2 indicate that he was to place there in the garden. To work it, the Hebrew word is abad, which means really to serve and to take care of it. Whatever work he did, therefore, is described as service to God. So whatever work you do is sacred. Unless, unless your work is some profession that destroys human flourishing. Like things I've thought of, like, like a drug dealer. That would not be a sacred word. Or, or like a, a mafia hitman, something like that. That's not a sacred job. But God placed humankind into the garden with a purpose, with a job to do something. So every job we have ultimately is sacred. So if you're a teacher or an investment banker, a realtor or a business owner, a photographer, a construction worker, a doctor or a consultant, a barista or a counselor, a fundraiser or a stay-at-home mom, a graphic artist or a car salesman, or even a pastor, your job is sacred. Whatever you do is sacred. That, that God has given you as a a purpose. It's you're as one who is created in his image. You are to co-labor with him to create a world which flourishes. Where, where people flourish, where the ground that he creates flourishes. That is why you've been put here. And it is so obvious from the beginning opening pages of Genesis that, that this shalom, right, this wholeness and this connectedness, this this flourishing will only happen when humankind is in right relationship with God. That's how it happens. Theologian Cornelius Pangea puts it this way. He says, in the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness and delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied, and natural gifts fruitfully employed, a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior 
opens the doors and welcomes creatures in whom he delights. Not a beautiful picture of God creating this world and opening up the doors and saying, come on in. Enjoy this world. Enjoy this garden I've created for you. I will meet your needs, and and we will use what I've given you to help this place to flourish. It should inspire joyful wonder in our God that this is what God desired. But we know how this goes, right? We know, and I've said this often, right? The first two pages of the Bible, God sets up the world as it should be. It takes mankind one page to mess it up. And then the rest of the Bible is God trying to put it back together, okay? So that third page, or uh, third chapter page, whatever, you know, the, the serpent comes, says to Eve, did God really say this? Yeah, he did. Oh, he's lying to you. You don't you should do this. So Eve eats the apple, gives it to Adam. He eats the apple. The next day, God is walking in the garden as he usually would. He says, hey, where are you guys? Oh, we're hiding because we're naked. Who told you you were naked? Oh, did you eat the apple? Oh, and then Adam's great. He says, the woman that you gave to me, God, she's the one who did this. And all of a sudden, all this blaming one another comes about. There's all this sort of stuff. And there are consequences to this sin, this brokenness. God says that the serpent will always be on his belly. He says to the woman, sorry, Katrina, there will be a pain in childbirth. Um, there's relational brokenness between the husband and wife. And then the Lord turns to Adam and says this, Genesis 3. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food you, until you return to the ground Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. And tending God's creation becomes a chore. He says there's painful toil. There's thorns and thistles. There's sweat on your brow. And and, and, and those of us that own homes and spend most Saturdays weeding and, and doing all the yard work, we understand this, but it's more than that. He said that that work has become difficult, that relationships become difficult, all because we live in this broken world. And it was not as God created it to be. And instead of a garden, much of the imagery throughout the scriptures of the following pages are pictures of wilderness and desert and famine and, and death and The strength of relationship that we see in the beginning of Genesis is broken up by comparison with one another and even murder and dysfunctional families and wars and all of this we see in the scriptures. And work is no longer seen as sacred. But there are these garden images in every era. When God has Moses to take the people out of Egypt, out of slavery to the promised land, he tells them they are going to a land that is filled with with, um, milk and honey, right? Flowing with milk and honey, this picture of a garden. The temple is actually built 
with a garden in mind. The, in the exile, the, the prophets speak of a garden of renewal in the nation of Israel. And Jesus speaks of gardens and growing and flourishing all the time. In fact, Jesus said this one day to his followers. I have come that they might have life and life to the fullest. You see, Jesus didn't just come to save us from our sin. He came to save us for life. Do you get that? Yes, we need forgiveness of sins. We need to have a heart that's renewed. But he also came to save us for a life. A life that is to the full. And and what's interesting about this, honestly, is, is that this life to the full that Jesus talks about, this abundant life that Jesus talks about, you might actually experience this fullness of life and have less money. Because you think about money differently. You you might actually have this fullness of life, and yet your time is not your own as much because you're serving others in a different way. This abundant life might not be that car you really wanted because that doesn't matter to you so much or that vacation home you thought you needed to have. The abundant life that Jesus talks about is a life that is connected with him. So how do you experience this abundant life? In John 15, Jesus gives us another beautiful image of a a garden and of growing and of flourishing. And he, he says this. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Verse 4, remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. You see, a fruitful life is only found as we stay connected to Jesus. A, A garden needs tending. The plants and the bushes and trees will become overgrown if they're not pruned back. They begin to compete for sunlight. They become unhealthy, and and a garden needs good soil. It needs water. It needs sunlight, and it needs a gardener. And what a beautiful statement that I am the true vine, Jesus says, and my father is the gardener. You know, I think... um, there's a lot of beautiful gardens around us. Um, even here in Claremont, there's the botanical gardens. Uh, there's lots of places. But I'm going to tell you a little bit, and I have told you this before, about my favorite garden. It's uh, at a retreat center up in uh, Valermo called um, St. Andrew's Priory. And I, I learned about this um, retreat center back in my 20s, and I went there quite often in my 20s. And then when I was on my sabbatical a few years ago, I went again. And my favorite part about being at St. Andrews is they have this garden area. And it's not much, but it's beautiful. And, and, and the retreat center is out in the high desert. So all around it is, uh, is desert and cactus and all this stuff. 
but there's a garden area. And there's a bench I love to sit on. And I remember sitting there during my sabbatical time, and most pretty much every time I go there, and realizing that the only difference between the wilderness and the desert out there and this desert area that is lawn and trees and bushes and flowers is that somebody tends this area. Somebody waters this area. Somebody takes care of this area. That's the only difference between the desert and the beautiful garden in front of me. And each time I'm there, I remember the only difference between my heart being a wasteland and a beautiful garden is the fact that I let Jesus and the Father tend it. That's what the difference is. I need to allow them to water my heart, snip off that stuff that doesn't need to be there, get rid of those weeds and those thorns, those thistles, all that stuff. Because that's what the gardener does. He prepares you for growth. And so my hope for you as we kind of go into this season of Lent in another week or so, is that you will let the gardener tend your soul. That that you'll take a time to take a look at your own heart and say, okay, what, what weeds need to be pulled out? What needs to be clipped off? Is there pride? Is there arrogance? What am I worrying about that God doesn't want me to worry about? What tending does God want to really do in your soul? And remember that your heart is like a garden to him, and he wants to grow it. And, and this, the theme of this series is garden to garden. And yes, we will get to the empty tomb garden on Easter, but there's another garden even past that that I want you to realize. In Revelation 22, the final chapter of the Bible. So we start with a garden in Genesis chapter 2. We get to a garden in Revelation 22. And this is what John writes. Then the angel showed me the the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb of God down the middle of the great street of the city, On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. Isn't that a beautiful picture of where we're going? It's such an interesting thought of a river flowing down the middle of the street and a tree on both sides. And that there's 12 crops of fruit and it's the fruit is given every month. It's a picture of flourishing and of growth. And there's no more curse. That curse that Adam heard about and that we've experienced and we experience today, one day will no longer be there. Garden 
to garden. So in this in-between time that we're in, allow the gardener to do his good work in you. Take time to sit. Maybe you have a special, wonderful place, a garden you like to sit in. Sit in that garden and allow the gardener to speak into your heart. To say, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to change you. This is the good I want to continue to help you flourish in. For I've called you to be one that cares for and helps my garden flourish in the world. That's who we're called to be. Let's pray together. Mm. So, Lord... um, we thank you for these, this image of a garden. And Lord, we all desire to live lives that make a difference. We all desire to live lives where we experience flourishing. And so Lord, do what you need to do in us. Prepare us, Lord, for, um, for this season. Help us to see those weeds that need to come out Help us to know where you want to till the soil so we grow a little bit more here. Do that in us individually and also, Lord, as a church. Help us to be in tune with what you're doing as the gardener of our lives. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. For more information about Baseline Community Church, please go to BaselineCC.com.